I'm glad that Keith reminded us of the uh, church fire that happened 28 years ago, Memorial Day weekend, the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. I was not here. I was at the time pastoring at First Baptist Sedalia, but uh, remembered that we were praying for you all during that time. Uh, Today is Pentecost Sunday, and that's a different kind of fire that came upon the church. And uh, Pentecost Sunday doesn't always fall on Memorial Day Sunday. Uh, It's always seven weeks after Easter. You see the banner that's up here to remind us of Pentecost Sunday, uh, to remind us of this very special Sunday, seven weeks after Easter, as the Holy Spirit was given. We're going to read that scripture in just a moment. Uh, This morning is the concluding sermon in the series, Family Strong. And since it is Pentecost Sunday, I wanted us to think together about uh, what it means for the Holy Spirit to help us be family, not only in our biological family, but in our extended family of the church, the family of a nation, the family of nations on the earth as we share the earth. And so we're going to read together from Acts chapter 2 in just a moment uh, about that day of Pentecost and to think together about how the Holy Spirit makes us family strong as we learn to live with people who are very different from us. Before we do that, I'd like to invite us to bow for meditation and prayer. If you would just bow with me, please. Lord, we are humbled when we think about the grace that you've poured out upon us and given us not what we deserve, but what we need. We're thankful, Lord, that we are not saved by our works. We could never do that. We could never measure up, but we're saved by your grace and what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we pause this very special weekend to acknowledge those who've gone before us and paid enormous price with their lives, many of them, to secure our freedoms, the freedom of worship. We also want to remember this weekend those loved ones whom we care about very much who've gone on before us. And truly, Lord, the resurrection hope not only sustains us, but somehow undergirds us uh, everything that we are, everything that we believe, uh, keys off of that triumphant uh, journey that Jesus made, taking on our death and then being raised again for everlasting life. And so that hope draws us on today. And Lord, we thank you for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we thank you for the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit, for the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit, for the, the holiness and the, the, the fresh strength that you give us through your Spirit, and for the way that the Holy Spirit makes the risen Christ real in us and among us. We pray that you will bless the proclamation of the gospel everywhere on the earth today, that nations might turn to you, and they might know the blessings of salvation through Jesus Christ. We ask God that you this week especially comfort our grieving, those who are troubled, those who are dealing with surgery, those who are dealing with illness and other kinds of family grief. We pray, O God, that you might guide us to be that congregation you've created us to be as we care for one another and proclaim the good news here in Jefferson City. So open our hearts now to hear the text that we might not just read about the Holy Spirit, but experience the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. And this we pray together in the name of Christ. Amen. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I invite you to stand if you're able as I read aloud God's word from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I, pour out, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show them portents in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May God bless this holy word to our hearts and to our understanding. You may be seated. Well, how many of you have ever been to a family reunion? Anybody ever been to a family reunion? Family reunions are marvelous things. We had one yesterday in North Missouri with Janet's side of the family. We're going to have another one on my side of the family, 4th of July, right here in Jefferson City. It's going to be fun. Uh, Family reunions can be a great blessing. They can be uh, just wonderful experiences, but they can also be a little scary and they can be a little overwhelming, and they can at times be awkward and a little bit uncomfortable because you don't always know everybody there. Uh, I have to tell you that when I was a little boy, I dreaded family reunions because there was this one great aunt who would always pinch my cheek, and she'd say, my, how you've grown, or she'd occasionally ask me why I'd gotten so fat or something really unkind, and uh, I kind of dreaded them because I didn't know all of the people. Uh, One of the things that happens at family reunions is because people don't always know everyone well, you kind of have to be careful what you talk about. You can't talk about politics and you can't talk about religion. And you would think that that would leave weather and maybe baseball like Cardinals and Royals. Whoops, that's another tension point. Maybe maybe just the weather, I don't know. 
Here's something else that happens at family reunions sometimes if, if uh, there's not a healthy dynamic going on. Another, another thing that happens sometimes at family reunions is that people will come in and sit with the branch of the family that they already know. They'll, they'll dine, they'll, if you're having a meal, they'll sit with the people they already know and people will break up in, in clans, in branches of the family and it's like, we could have stayed home and done this, you know. We, we already know those people, we should mix it up a little bit. And you know, one of the reasons we do that, we, we cling to the ones we know at those family reunions is because, is because we're all afraid of what we don't know. We're afraid of people we don't know. We somehow think they will bite or it will be an awkward situation. It's the same reason you sit the same place you always sit in church. And it's the same reason some of us visit with the same people at Wednesday night church supper even when new people come and try to get acquainted and end up sitting by themselves at something that's called a fellowship supper. We're all creatures of habit and we like the familiar and we feel uncomfortable with the unknown because we fear what we don't know. But there are some great things that happen at family reunions. Several years ago, on Janet's side of the family, um, we sort of lost touch with some cousins of hers. They'd been close in childhood, but you know, life just happened. There was no, there was no falling out, there were no problems. It just was a situation where uh, people got busy and people got neglectful, and we sort of lost touch with these cousins And then about five years ago, we reconnected. Kids are all grown up by now, but our kids connected. And and we started getting together on a regular basis, and it was really fun. In fact, our children and the children of those cousins uh, were having so much fun together, one of them said to a parent, said, Mom, where have you been keeping these cousins all this time? They're really fun. They're cool. I didn't even know they existed. And so the plus, the advantage of family reunions. Well, it's Pentecost Sunday, as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit coming, and uh, this banner was in the way. Some of you couldn't see the choir, and you thought, why'd they put that banner there? Yes, the Holy Spirit does get in the way of our worship sometimes, doesn't the Holy Spirit? But uh, Pentecost is the coming of the Spirit to make the presence of the risen Christ real in our lives, to give us holiness of character, to uh, give us power to live and power to witness and serve. But another ministry of the Holy Spirit, if you read the text carefully, is the ministry of helping us get along with sisters and brothers, helping us learn to know sisters and brothers. Because without the Holy Spirit we often withdraw into our shells. Without the Holy Spirit's ministry active in our lives and between us and among us, we tend to just draw in. There's a negative thing that happens in our world, in our lives, if we're not open to the Holy Spirit, and it is what I call the county-wide mentality. It is that idea that develops in us that my perspective on things is the only perspective on things. It's that drawing in that that makes us think that the way we see the world is the only way that the world can possibly be. It's very, very nearsighted. It's very, very 
countywide only, and it happens to all of us if we're not careful. Uh, earlier this year in Word and Way, Dr. Brett Younger uh, shared some amazing statistics to remind us that the world is a lot bigger than our viewpoint. He said that less than 10% of the world's population speaks English. Less than 5% of the world's population lives in the United States. And less than 2% of the world's population is Baptist. You know, every once in a while we get to thinking that the way we see the world or the way we say things are is the only possible way it can be. But then we, we see something like this and we remind it, or we read the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit on all those nationalities, and we realize the world is bigger. Younger goes on to say there's a Malaysian proverb that says, uh, from Malaysia, the country of Malaysia, there's an old proverb that says, many of us live like frogs under a coconut shell. That we live in a very limited kind of worldview that only sees us and our kind and we don't see the larger world that's out there and the possibilities. So what happens when we have that county-wide mentality and we think that everybody has to see the world just like we do? What happens is that we then move to another mistake, which, what, which is what sociologists are calling othering. Uh, othering, it's, it's been made into sort of a verb that describes what happens when we are afraid of people not like us and we demonize people who are not like us? And it happens all the time, especially when we live under that coconut shell. We're afraid of people not like us and we demonize people not like us. Um, Faith Voices for Jefferson City is in a year-long conversation on race relationships in Jefferson City and very appropriately timed after all the things that have been happening everywhere in our nation. And uh, our last meeting, uh, our last conversation was on the campus of Lincoln University a few weeks ago, and I attended a meeting of, of everyone was invited, but particularly we invited university students. There were, there were blacks, there were whites, there were browns, there were uh, Asians, and there were uh, people of, of various nationalities there. And it was interesting to hear the students particularly talk about ways in which they've been prejudged based on their hairstyle, based on the way they dress, or based on the color of their skin. Prejudged. Nobody ever took time to get to know them. They just made assumptions about them because of clothing or hair or skin color or any number of other things. Othering happens uh, not just racially. Uh, if you hung around Jefferson City a while, you know that when we have uh, issues come up, uh, referenda and, and uh, voting issues, uh, there is within Jefferson City a little tension between those with a more rural orientation toward life and those with a more urban orientation toward life. And sometimes there's tension. I'm not saying that tension is bad. I'm just saying it is because we don't all see the world the same way. Or think about doctrinal differences, the different churches within Jefferson City, uh, the different belief systems we have about the Bible, or even within our own church, how we interpret Bible passages differently and doctrines differently. And this is where I always remind people that we're Baptist, and that means that we honor diversity of opinion and diversity of perspective, that historically, Baptists did not unite around doctrine. In fact, we united because we did not, we did not like oppressive church systems telling us what to believe, 
Uh, we actually united around missions and evangelism and giving broad freedom to believers to interpret scripture as conscience would dictate. So there are all these uh, differences that we begin to experience and we have to be careful not to do that othering where we become suspicious of people who are different from us either in point of view or appearance or language or lifestyle or whatever. Uh, there's another difference uh, that's, that's always in our face, and that's the generational worldview. Uh, you know about the, uh, the, the builder generation. That's the World War II uh, generation that fought the war and survived oppression. And, and you know that after that is the boomer generation. That's the generation I'm a part of. And then there's the buster generation. And they have various names, Generation X, Generation Y, the millennials. But every different generation, if you study it carefully, sees the world differently, sees issues differently, processes reality differently. And every once in a while, if you have a little time, you might feel sorry for me and pastors like me all over the world, especially in the United States, as we try to shepherd for the first time in church history, sociologists are saying, for the first time in history, try to shepherd eight different generations in one congregation. Think about that. Just in our congregation, eight different generations at least. And, and so we see all of, these, all of these differences that people aren't all alike. And then this story of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I decided. We've spent a lot more time on the theology of Pentecost, why the Holy Spirit came to be the living presence of Jesus, to uh, give us holiness of character, to give us courage to serve and to witness. We've spent a lot more time on the theology of Pentecost than we have the geography of Pentecost or the sociology of Pentecost. For example, Ancient cities, historians have reconstructed as best they can, ancient cities in Bible days had more dense population, as many as 240 people per acre. In comparison, today, Manhattan, New York City has a density of 105 people per acre, and Manhattan has the advantage of high-rises and skyscrapers. Now, you know what the takeaway there is? The takeaway is that God's people in the book of Acts lived much more closely together, and they had to find ways to get along and to acknowledge differences. They had to find a way to be the people of God in Christ while they were rubbing shoulders with one another in very, very tight quarters. And I think verses 9, 10, and 11 are more important. Most, most of us, when we read the story of Pentecost, we want to skip the listing of the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the Mesopotamian, Mesopotamians and, and, El, and uh, Judea and Cappadocia. I want to show you a map. Um, and I really would like to have had a larger map, but it would have gotten lost on the screen and it would have been difficult for us to talk about. But to give you some orientation, 
that, that gray long boot or uh, long vertical uh, nation on the far right-hand side, lo lower half that says Syria, all that region down along that western coast, that's the Holy Land or Israel. All of that region to the west is uh, up above it, sticking out is Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, and over there is Greece, and then farther over by that yellow is, is Rome, the yellow and beige. The nations listed in Acts chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11 start on the east, not even on this map, with modern-day Iran and Iraq, and then it generally works its way westward across Asia Minor or Turkey, jumps across to Greece, over to Rome, comes back through Egypt. All of those nations are listed as people who were present, different languages, different customs, different approaches to life, and yet the Holy Spirit worked in their lives to bring about the same conversion to the same Jesus, to make them one people while they still remain very different, different individuals. I want you to look at that map and I want you to ponder with me for a moment. I heard a man say one time, one of the greatest blessings I had from a lifetime in church is this. Through church, I learned to hang around people I would never have chosen to hang around with if I hadn't been in church. Now, I want you to think about that. We think I come to church to find people just like me. But what if God thinks we're supposed to come to church to learn to relate to people not like me? To learn to honor diversity and to love people who share in common Jesus Christ and maybe don't share a lot of other things in common. What kind of world would that be? I have a good friend. His name is John McCallum. He's a great preacher. He has this sermon I love to hear him preach. You want to hear the title of his sermon? The title of his sermon is, Honey, I Shrunk the Church. He did a takeoff on that old movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And his sermon is about how we take God's great, big, expansive kingdom we take that great Pentecost experience of, of God's love going to all nations and we try to repackage it and we try to shrink wrap it into our little world under that coconut shell. And all the time God is trying to expand the world and make it bigger, expand the kingdom and make it bigger. Now, I know there are people even maybe here this morning who are cynical about the church there may be people who listen to this, to this sermon uh, in our audio files who are cynical about the church and about Christ. Uh, and I get it. The church has a lot of problems. The church at times can be insular. Uh, the church can be very exclusive and be bigoted and be narrow. But I also want us to understand that our best is always in front of us. The church, is, the church should be recognized not only for our failures, but the church should be recognized for what we envision becoming. The church should be, the church should be recognized for the effort that we are uh, attempting to grow into, the vision we're attempting to grow into, 
as the people of God for all peoples everywhere. And if you stop and think about this expansive love that God has, it's very logical. Uh, for example, those of you who are parents and parents of more than one child, have you noticed that no two children are exactly alike? Or if you have siblings when you were growing up, did you notice that from the same gene pool, you got people with so markedly different outlook on life? So here's my next question. You parents of more than one child, which child do you love more? You get it? You get where God's coming from on Pentecost? He loves us all the same. And Pentecost is that unmerited drenching in the spirit of the living God that works that transforming grace of Jesus that brings people into, into new life and eternal hope. Only God could do this. We, we can't earn that. It's powerful. And if we can open our hearts and get out from under that coconut shell, maybe we'll be able to say to God, God, where have you been keeping all these spiritual cousins? I didn't even know they existed. They're really cool, God. They're really cool. I want to get to know them. Let's pray together.